0: This is Post-Studio Visit number 8. I'm Jonah Gray. Each episode, I meet and interview artists, curators, and writers in the places where they work. In today's episode, I had the rare pleasure of visiting artist Isabel Powells at her New Westminster apartment and studio. Isabel and I go back several years to when I worked on the monograph about her produced by Presentation House Gallery. During that time, I grew to admire the unique way she brought aspects of her own biography into dense explorations of the social and political spheres, all with a fastidious attention to the materiality of the media that she used in a given project. She has shown widely in Canada and internationally, including a recent residency at MPAC New York that culminated in an ambitious screening and installation of a multi-channel audio-video work entitled, "Zero Cowles won the Brink Award in 2009 and was shortlisted for the Sobe in 2013. In conjunction with her talk here, I'm also pleased to mention that we will be hosting a radio play adaption of 000 on our website for the next two months. The project will be available to stream in the coming days, so keep your eyes peeled on social media for an announcement about the launch. Without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Isabel. Once we'd made ourselves comfortable in the living room next to a video editing setup, and she'd cracked a diet Dr. Pepper. I asked her what she'd been working on recently.
1: What have I been up to lately? Well, I've just started something. So, uh, how can I talk about it? Um, have you heard of mixed martial arts? Yes. Yeah, you know, you know what that is. I'm you familiar know. Familiar with them? The UFC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm a huge, huge fan. That's like the only sport I've watched <laughs> seriously. Oh yeah. Wow. See that that TV? The yes. only reason I have cable is so that I can watch UFC events. That's that's the only reason. And I it's used to so watch brutal, it.
2: Though.
1: Absolutely, I know it's so difficult. Oh, it's just like the most inspiring sport ever. Anyway, um, I got into it. Uh, my sister's boyfriend used to do martial arts like 20 years ago, kind of thing. Not not mixed martial arts didn't exist yet. Um, but he was like, uh, I think it was kickboxing. Was it, or was it karate? It doesn't matter. The point is, he is the person who got me into it, and we would all watch at his place. And it was like four of us, we had this, this viewing group. Mark, my sister, me, and uh, his friend Steve. But then Mark died um, of cancer, and so we decided, like, the rest of us, the, the, the remaining three were like, we're not letting go of this tradition. Like, we want to continue. But my sister doesn't have cable, and she has so many um, costs with, with like the estate and stuff. So she's like, "I'm not going to get cable. I'm just not going to do it." And Steve has cable, of course, but his wife um, really hates the UFC. <laughs> and the funny thing is, she's Brazilian, and you know they have such great um, athletes from from Brazil, like who are like superstars. But doesn't matter. In, she doesn't in care. Mixed like martial arts. What's that?
2: Within the mixed martial yeah, arts yeah, yeah. field, right? Uh, yeah.
1: Um, but like she's just so not not into it, so it's hard to watch it. And they just live in a, like in a in a one bedroom apartment as, as well. So it's really hard to watch it when you know there's someone else in the room who totally doesn't give a shit. It just like it ruins the atmosphere, right? So we we quickly realize, well, we can't go over to Steve's. So I'm like, I guess I'm gonna have to get cable. <laughs> like that's the only reason I have television. So yeah. What was the question? What am I doing? What are you working
2: on? Yes, so UFC. How does it it factor in? How does
1: it factor in? Hmm. This is where I have to think about how I'm going to talk about the damn thing. Well, the first thing I can say very simply is that it is going to be a video again. And I haven't done a video in a while. My last piece was like a theater piece that had, uh, I guess you could say it's a choreography of light, audio video and sculptures and it was like you know 27 channels of audio nine channels of video um, lights and the audience was on it was all set up on the sound stage and the audience was sort of on stage with it like there was no live actors or or live voice but um, it felt live um, because the how can i say this the most sculptural element in the whole thing was. Have you ever heard multi-channel audio? Yes, I think so. Yeah, uh, well, this was like 27 channels in a room. That, in, yeah, in in a room that is specially engineered for for sound. Like it was 100% sound absorptive. So what that means, like in a 60 foot room with like 50 people milling about, a speaker this big, you can totally hear it from like 50 feet away. Right. And you can totally control the mixing of these channels. And when the sound would move around or go from one area to another, it was like, that was the most, like screw the lights, screw the sculptures. The most sculptural thing in the whole thing was the feeling of the sound, like it had a mass, a presence. It was like another animal in the room with you, like the way that it would move and like the story would move from this section to here and it would stop, turn around, like address you and then just kind of turn to the side, drop you, move on over over there. And the thing, though, is that to prepare something that felt so live in the way that it... Um, I'll just say to prepare something that felt so live, I had to... There was about 15 or, I don't know, was it 15, 13 actors and voice actors involved? Um, I've, I've never had to be so, like prepared in advance like okay this is the script this is how it's going to be broken down like you force you know and like all these tactics of like how am I going to get eight guys to fucking sing in unison I can't even sing like I had to really prepare you know ahead of time um the script had to be pretty fucking final is what I'm trying to say to get this whole choreography to work. Like, yes, afterwards, once I had the recordings, I could then, uh, you know, play with them and change the speed and, you know, with rhythmic cuts and unforeseen things did occur, but it was, you know, that was then worked into the project, but it was still so prepared ahead of time, which I liked, but then I was missing the thing that I usually get out of video where yes i can script ahead of time and even for 10 months like the western front video unbelievably no one would think this but it was like scripted and it was like it was like 10 months of like because i was just starting from some completely other type of writing i had to find a whole new way of writing that i realized later on was more like vocals or lyrics in a song
2: this is for the most recent project
1: no this is i'm actually going i know it's a bit confusing i'm Going back to the Western Front video okay. project, yeah. because I want to talk about why it's, it's sort of important to me that it's video for the new project mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, rather than this other, um, this, I guess, more of a scripted play, I don't know. Um, what was important, what I discovered, or what the way that I use video is that even if the damn thing is completely scripted, like 10 months in advance... There's whole sections of script that still don't work. I'm like, okay, let me bring in a camera that just, the angle just changes the tone of, of the words. The camera angle can totally undo a single sentence, you know, or completely change the, the way that it, it comes across. But it's the editing where I'm like, okay, no matter how composed this whole thing is, now I improvise. The way that I cut this, that. And you just have so much freedom, or at least I feel like I do, in video to like completely improvise on this mega composed thing that you already have and change it like 100 percent like it's just not you have freedom forever forever to just mm-hmm. keep on changing and because it's, it's rhythm it's timing of the cuts like all that i'm not saying about you know i don't even manipulate footage very very much when it comes to the visuals like i don't do weird things in i don't know after effects i don't know how to do it um, but just by the rhythm of a cut, like the things that you can change is just incredible. So, um, I want to get back to some of that freedom. Um, while, cause i I missed that kind of improv. Um, but I, and I want to use a script more like, yes, I want a script, but not for 10 months. Okay what about five or six months only? I'll have some islands of very prepared stuff and then there's going to be a bunch of junk, no matter how hard I work on it, it'll just remain junk that I just will drop. Um, but the script will be more like a scrapbook of like, you know, there's some good phrases, some good elements here. Composition versus improvisation is a big theme that I've been, or just a big, um, it comes out of the tools of editing really
2: yeah well i think that's such a huge that that dynamic in your work yeah it goes back all the way it does it does all of that
1: and again i'm gonna play with that again (laughs) and uh in this case with uh, like with martial arts if you want to relate it to like why would i pick that um in terms of this this dynamic well actually that's what that's what a fight is you know, you can have all your, your preparation, your training camps, your, um, the techniques that you're most grounded in, be it wrestling, be it boxing, be it um, jiu-jitsu, be it uh, Muay Thai, Sambo, whatever the hell it is. You prepare, you, you know, your, your camp helps you with, okay, watching footage of the opponent. But there's all these different philosophies of, of what fight are you going to fight? You know, are you going to fight in response to your opponent are you going to like screw the opponent i'm going to do what i do Mm -hmm. um how do you impose fighting is all about like how do you impose your will in the cage how does that happen and what i like so much about mixed martial arts is that you never know what's going to happen it's so unpredictable um because there are so many different disciplines of, of martial arts that are thrown together in the cage at the same time, the possibilities just become so, like... So many times have we heard, oh, yeah, Ronda's supposed to win. Connor's going to win. There's no way, like, either, you know, that they can lose. And then they do. And this happens again and again and again in, in the sport. And what I've become very interested in is that at this moment right now, mixed martial arts is in this time where it's becoming almost or they're trying to make it mainstream you know and what that means then is that they have all this uh, all the activity around the sport like the promotion and of course fighters now are on Twitter and they have Twitter accounts and like people follow them and it's become like the marketing machine around the sport has become increasingly more like you know wrestling, like the WWE, which is scripted, right? Mm-hmm. The WWE—it's not a real fight. It's—it's it's, it's real um, athleticism and real uh, moves occur in in the cage and stuff. But like, it's not a fight. It's—it's not—it's not a competition, really, right? right? And it's not—it's entertainment. It's really the entertainment side of sports, right? And so the UFC is kind of like it's in 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 this position, or I should the UFC. When I talk about the UC, that's like sort of the the dominant league right now, like the highest league at at, at this time. Ultimate Fighting Championships. And it's full of acronym. The, the entire sport <laughs> is full of acronyms. Um they with their with their promotion and stuff, people even talk about uh, like reporters covering the sports and fighters themselves even use phrases like, um, The narrative. What's like? What's the what's the interesting narrative? Like the narrative of of the fight. And like, um, and some people have clearly been practicing, you know, before the the press conferences. They've been practicing their shtick, and others completely refuse to practice. And you get, but it's just that you get this. You know, it is a business, and there are you know the money fights, the not money fights, the bosses. Of course, it's better for business if this person or that person wins or loses at a you know at a certain time, or so we think. Um, until shit in, in, in mixed martial arts, shit is constantly happening, right? Con- and in, in a fight too, it's like you have your your plan, your all your preparation, your skill, your talent, your all that drilling and then oops remember it's like you can have the most willpower you know the strongest mind in in the world if you get hit
2: kneeling on your throat if you get hit
1: in the liver like you're going down you know like that's it shit happens like it's constantly shit happens in this sport and then people get caught now that you know because they're they're, they are becoming more mainstream and they don't want to have this appearance of being this kind of like you know, hooligans, uh, God knows who, the guy in a bar. Oh, yeah, so it's a know. very
2: civilized sport.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's taking on all these trappings. Like um, now, they have drug testing. I mean, they always had drug testing, but it was it was it was bullshit, right? And now they've had they have USADA, the same uh, people the that, that test international the international uh, uh, well, doping
2: agencies. It's the it?
1: American um, doping agency, right? USADA. Uh, but they take their protocols from, I think, WADA or one of the one of those, the world, one of those yeah, Olympic do fucking doping whatever, things, yeah. And so, like, people's bodies started <laughs> to change because suddenly, like, shit, you can't do your TRT anymore. You you, you can't do your, um, but like the the point is that they're taking on trappings of like this is a legitimate sport, just like you know baseball or basketball. Like we are testing. And we have these strict protocols in place, but um, the problem is that the commissions who enforce it—it's all—it's state by state, and some of these commissions are just like kangaroo courts. Basically, it's just—it's not. It's like there's there's been huge scandals. Um, uh, Nick Diaz, um, who's a known like marijuana user, he—that's not a performance-enhancing drug, most people would say, um, but he was caught he's been caught before and fined and he was caught again and the commission and i watched the hearing and stuff right and it's just like this legal language. Like, uh well it streams online wow. on on oh, on the yeah and the language crazy. of the like the legal language i can't even it's been a few months since i looked at it but i, I was starting to transcribe and it's just like this torrent of like Words And like the guy, Nick's lawyer was was really good. But you could totally tell that the, the, the especially that the lead commissioner, her name is Pat Lundvall. <laughs> I don't know if she realized she looks like a cartoon villainess. Like that's what she, she looks, looks like. like. So that's how she talks. And you could totally tell there was a personal vendetta on the part yeah. of the commissioners towards Nick Diaz. They were just so sick of him. And they gave him a five-year suspension. That's not even in their constitution, in their rules. Right. They're like not effectively, allowed
2: to- like banning you from the sport, right? For life, yeah.
1: like exactly for fucking marijuana. Whereas a week or two weeks earlier, um, an aging superstar, Anderson Silva, was uh, caught with, um, or he had his hearing, I should say, for, this was a performance-enhancing drug. He had, of course, his leg had been broken, his shin was like cracked in half like he was like screaming in in the octagon understandably having to come back from such a huge injury I could see that somebody could turn towards performance enhancing drugs because they're so scared like they need to strengthen quickly I don't know why he he was back within a year after like cracking his bone like crazy shit right and so he was caught with a performance enhancing drug he had never been caught with anything before he got a one-year suspension Right. like hello and then the other person got five but you well, it see, sounds like they're
2: just like entering into the world of like mainstream sports like FIFA and
1: yeah. NFL
2: or in all those cases just the, that type of those trappings seem uh-huh. like also so phony and and based on as far as I mean just from a casual observer mm-hmm. so maybe that's just part of the <laughs> part of the process of becoming yeah. like, like legitimizing the sport
1: the only thing is that the UFC has like I said they don't have the one there's not the one commission right there's not, not even one out. national commission and like when the UFC goes to states or to other countries that don't have an athletic commission for uh, combat sports it's the UFC oversees it themselves so like that's kind of you know sketchy yeah and and that's why the UFC also want knowing you know they realize their their marketers realize that gives them a bad image right um, yeah, so you're so, drawn
2: to kind of all these elements of like staging and like yeah, self like, presentation, and along
1: with just the like the to, to be very sort of blunt about it, it's like the oh shit body happens of fights and of that unpredictability versus this no this desire to have like this is the narrative like the WWE which is basically Sunday school right of like with like these moral uh, implications to like who wins like who's the better fight you know the better fighters the better person like you know Mm -hmm. all of that kind of thing like these these moral and uh, there's of course certain fighters who are who are vocal uh, oh because it was oh this is really bad like labor laws (laughs) Uh, there are none there is no union of like mixed martial arts fighters in the ufc there is none oops I should also mention that um, who owns the UFC? The Fertitta brothers, they are uh, casino people. So they're not exactly pro-union in their own casinos. Um, they have been fighting the, the start of, of a union. And that fight somehow ended up, who is it in the um, in the state capital of like I'm talking, the, the state government would, mm-hmm. um, of New York State, okay. where MMA until about a month ago was banned. Right. Why it was, was it again. banned? For the only reason that some friend of the casino of the Culinary Union, who who was trying to organize right in the Fertitta casinos, yes. a friend of of that of the Culinary Union um, had influence in the New York State Legislature and of course everyone knows that Madison Square Gardens like that's where you make like that's the venue like that's the mecca of sports and you see a shut out of of of, yeah. of 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 the state um so like there's all this other business dealings around that and i kind of lost my thread about it. i don't know why i was telling that that story oh it has to do with with a bit like there are um, ah wwe morality that's yes. where i was getting at yeah um, like, there are, like, sort of these, like, you could easily portray, if, if you wanted to, um, like, the UFC owners and presidents stuff as being, like, really hard-ass, like, you know, anti-union, anti, like, our fighters will fight for nothing because, you know, because we can get away with it kind of thing. And then uh, there's a deal in place now where, in the past, like, why do, you, why do you think you always see fighters, if in your mind your idea of a fighter might be somebody with... Like when they're in their, you know, uh, fight gear, it's full of like stickers of like sponsors and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people would get there because fight pay is not very good. Like right now, a champion makes 40,000. 40,000 yeah. to show. In boxing, it's like way fucking more than that. And that's the champions. The rest, like, I think the lowest tier is 2,500.
2: Right,
1: yeah. yeah. And it goes by, um, well, anyway, so they used to have sponsors and stuff, and they would, the sponsors would, would, they would get paid to have the sponsor logo on them in the ring where the television cameras are on them, right? Well, the UFC decided um, to do a deal with Reebok, <laughs> um, where under this deal, during fight week, which is the entire week um, preceding the fight, where there's like press conferences, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a lot of you know public appearances are made. Um, Well, during that week now, everyone has to wear Reebok gear. You cannot have your sponsors on you or you get fined. So suddenly a bunch of sponsors are going, wait a minute, like, I'm not going to, like, we can't get our name on there. We're not going to sponsor these people anymore. So people, most fighters lost quite a bit of money over this Reebok deal. And of course, the UFC uses the Reebok money for, I don't know what purposes exactly, but one of the purposes is for fighter pay. And you could say, yeah, for fighters who are starting out, maybe it's better this way because they're guaranteed, even though it's only 2,500, they're guaranteed that. But, um, and you can get bonuses if you win or you have performance of the night or whatever. And there's a bunch of backdoor, backdoor uh, bonuses and pay structure things that are not made available to the public, so we don't know. And certain champions or people, former champions get uh, Part of the pay per view—that's big money, of course. Right, work. that Part seems the like that's the
2: main thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, but it's 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 tournament economics, which is very much um, how art operates too, right? It's like people in artists or fighters get into it with the money is shit, but there is that tiny, tiny, tiny fucking chance that you might, you know, make it right and do well. And what happens eventually over time is people kind of start to drop out they're like well wait a minute you know this is this is really tough like fuck this is just not getting any better um I guess I'm gonna have to quit you know like it's that same that same doing shit for chump change forever sort of on this vague hope that well if you keep if you're strong enough if you keep going like It'll work out for you, but you have to hang in for God knows how many years. Of course, in fighting, you're also getting like your your head <laughs> cracked, <laughs> or <laughs> your, your shin bone broken in half, or God knows what. Um, so, so tell, tell me, me, is, is it?
2: Yeah, are you you've you used, used actors, actors before, before? Yeah. in in yeah, videos? Yeah, this, is, is that, that something, something that, that you would bit, entertain doing this one, this one or is this going to be using? I have become it? attracted.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's the other level in this thing. Um, coming out of my last piece where there was videos, but almost none of it was captured video. Almost all of it was um, text uh, graphics. Yes. And uh, with a little bit of live stuff thro- you know, or captured footage of like people doing stuff uh, thrown in at certain key moments. Um, I'm very interested in these two kinds of footage being brought together. In the same space, sorry, um, like the artifice of the of the the drawing, I guess you know. Right, or some that it, originate
2: in the computer, kind of, and some that are that are.
1: Well, the, yeah, they're all they're all sort of originating in the computer, really, because it's it's digital video. But um, I guess some where you feel time lapse, and others where you don't. Really, <laughs> I think that's that's probably it. Because, um, you know, because when you make it, it's just frame by frame when you, when you do it. But, um, and also because the language of the UFC is so, like, even of the visuals at the press conferences, it's so um, standardized and, 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 and branded, like, that it is, I mean, this sounds stupid, it is a visual language, yeah, but I mean, it really feels like a language, and like a plastic language, like it um, I don't know how else to say it. it I won't try <laughs> because I'll just go on forever and, and end up with saying the same thing over and over again. Um, I want to uh, I want to use these like the artifice of those kind of graphics, what kind of graphics? What am I talking about? Um, I don't know how to describe it. Well, I can well, think on like
2: ESPN or, or whatever that there's, yeah, there's this kind of whole. There's this whole um, like visual, textual, yes. or way, way of presenting, presenting text on screen that, that immediately comes, comes to mind when, when you start describing that. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, but I'm also talking about um, the light, the architecture, the architecture, the of of the infrastructure that all you know, the ring, the the press conference. Um, setup that they have and there's a post fight setup and there's a um the big tour the big uh, promotional tour setup that's that's very different um I mean that's very distinct uh so it's not just those graphics it's also the like the hard stuff the stuff that's in the picture is so standardized and so that it's almost a graphic itself in my mind um and there is as I learned from my last project um or I kind of already I suspected it but it was driven home is that all you need to do to really bring home to like make something feel real all of a sudden breathe into it in other words people people speaking like that's animation like a voice can do so much um but where am I with this I don't know yet if i'm gonna use this is how in the beginning i am initially i thought nope no real actors it'll all be um some kind of sculptural figure shall we say i don't mean like a a wrestling figurine that's not what i'm talking about i actually don't know exactly what i'm talking about but some kind of visual object uh put into these backdrops that uh, a friend of mine chris kowal who's uh, very good at um 3d rendering on the computer and stuff he does it for architects and everything too uh but he knows his shit basically well uh he's gonna we're gonna be collaborating on these different um i guess we'll call them sets these different interiors that he will render in the computer and i have this notion that somehow there's going to be a um some kind of clash or, or not sitting right you know of the background, which is we'll, we'll call it the three D background, okay, mm-hmm. the three D back or the the rendered background, whatever the fuck, uh, in combination with um, I don't know, kind of like a rock sitting on on your on your computer screen, like something that just doesn't sit right exactly. And that rock would be the the figurine or the the different characters, and they would all be animated by voice actors. But I I don't know. Um, I can only start to figure out, I do know one thing, I'll say this, um, for the so-called fight scenes, my dream is to, I don't know how this is going to happen, but whatever, I have to figure this out, is to, I always wondered, what would it sound like underneath the octagon? The octagon is the, the name, the brand name of the cage that they fight in, in the, in the UFC. So it's, it's the fighting surface, right? What would it sound like if you would um, set up mics, like get somebody who knows what the fuck they're, they're, they're doing to set up mics under there and to record the audio of the fights because, like, from underneath, because the, the cage is like a drum, right, with all the, all, all the instances of, like, the, the, you know, the footwork, the, the grappling work when people crash down to the mat. I think that would be a very interesting soundscape if I could somehow collect that... Like, would you even be able to hear the crowd from underneath there? Who the fuck knows? But it's especially those, those impacts, the... What do, you, what do you call it? What's that word again for, for drums? With a P. It starts with a P. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, percussion. Yes. It's this percussive landscape that really interests me. Soundscape, I should say. And I was thinking of, basically, um, if I would have a video... It would not be an installation, but it, it would be a black box video. That's that's how I'm thinking of it. But that the fight scene part would happen via audio only. Like, it, I call it lights out. Like, black out the lights, boom, you know, and then just the audio from these different speakers. Uh, there would be a good speaker mix. See, I don't even know enough... I'll call it a good speaker mix in the room to make that part like an audio soundscape, a bit like what I, you know, not 27 fucking channels, but, um, yeah. You convey that through the sound rather than through
2: the image. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, uh, like, I'm not interested in, like, making, you know, like, close-ups of people training, like, visuals, but I am interested in the audio, like, all that material, like, the gloves, the um, uh, the the rash guards that they wear, everything like the sound of all those things, those are interesting sounds. I want to do something with that. Um, of course that still doesn't solve like what the fuck are the visuals? Well, aside from what I said before, but, uh, like what does that look like? Does it look photorealistic? Does it look, who knows? And this is all the stuff that I'm going to have to, I can do this right here in terms of the research of, What's that going to look like? Because I can go and get fabric. My first thought is like wet and dry, you know, or it's wet and sticky. Because well, there's blood, there's sweat, there is tape, always tape, and then there is stitching. Um, that maybe that by looking at the fabrics, maybe that's where I find my the visual textures, the look that I need. I don't know. See, but this is this is what I'm what what I have to find. Um, by, like, just buying little fucking, you know, objects and stuff and playing with them right here. And then I will find that out kind of just by messing around kind of thing. Um, so, is so is it, it is, is it,
2: you it mentioned, you mentioned before, before, even the, the fighters the are talking, talking about, about narratives, narratives
1: and... And, well, because well, they have to do... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, just,
2: just just in, and so that makes, makes me, me wonder...
1: wonder can yeah. you hear that? <laughs>
2: yeah this, this is, is my diet, two of diet My diet, Pepsi. dr pepper
1: i should dr. Have, pepper. i should have had uh, uh monster energy drinks so because that's the sponsor. sponsor that's one of the sponsors that the monster energy drink
2: yeah. at
1: <laughs> every post post <post-bite> fight <laughs> presser there's a fucking monster energy drink
2: love my monster energy drink yeah. <laughs> we need to get them as a sponsor for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh i, I interrupted
1: interrupt you constantly go um, ahead
2: I was just wondering about the the way that the, you're going to you're going to link together. You you describe the soundscape, and of course, uh, um, you know many of your pieces have narrative dimension to them, but they also they also are. Um, I want to. I'm trying to think of another word to describe them, but are are. Um, you know, you know more, more kind of like mo- mon- driven by, by montage, montage or something, or something. Mm-hmm. is the, is, are you oh, scripting I'm it? Are you scripting, scripting it, it and, in and having, having sort of like sort of a story, story dimension, dimension to it as well? As well or?
1: That's what I'm not sure. Now, there is, okay, my first instinct was that there is a, that the answer would be yes to that. And that, but it would be highly, a highly artificial arc that is already present in Fight Week itself. So you have, um, for example, you might start with the, uh, the pre-fight presser, where fighters, you know, they have to talk to media about, like, they're going to do this in their fight, they're going to do that in their fight. Uh, then from there, there might be a, um, the big tour ones for the, for the big, that's more talking, um, but it's only certain... Uh, it's not everybody on on the card. It's it's for the most important cards uh, or the most important events of the season. They have the top people all are sitting on on the on, on the stage, on these like risers. Like there's different levels and everything. And um, certain press conferences. Then you'll have the fight. Then you'll have a post fight press conference. And then you'll have the disciplinary hearing where somebody gets caught gets caught with, uh, <laughs> with <laughs> the. <laughs> That's kind of, kind of, of the, the addendum. Event, right? It has to yeah. have a yeah. disciplinary yeah, hearing. No, ex- exactly. um, like, that's an artificial arc of just, like, kind of what happens. Like, pre-fight, fight, post-fight. Um, that, But that's not a story. That's just a structure. Um, and it's, yeah, that's not really a narrative, right? That's just a structure. And my other notion, and this is um, going back to soundscape, it relates to this, is um, since I had music in my last piece, too, that kind of whetted my appetite for... Um, like, I mean, music was, compo- Paul Kajander composed the soundtrack for Zero, um, Zero, Zero. That was that, uh, that theatrical multi-channel extravaganza thingy that we talked about earlier. Um, this, I want, I've, I kind of, how can I say this? I, I was at Western Front uh, last fall. Um, And I went to a concert by, I think his name is John Camille Farah, something like that, a Canadian pianist. And he was doing fugues. And during his compositions, he would, like, you know, when you do these, like, arpeggio things or these kind of cascading things, and he had to, at all moments, you could tell, like, I'm like, somebody built that powerfully, and who's, like, you could get swept along by your own arpeggios kind of thing. But then you have to, at the last minute, be able to, like, stop on a dime and then do this, like, light little... You know, I can't I can't quite explain it, but it was such a mesmerizing performance, like the physicality of his performance combined with like this complete mental focus that he had to be able to change on a dime, bang, just like that, that um, I, I remember telling myself, I bet you this kind of concentration is what a fighter has to do in the cage. And he was also very, just very charming with, with the audience so that he would explain like what is a fugue. And I don't know if I could explain it now, but... Um, This relates, again, to composition and improvisation that the fugue started off as this... I don't know if he said this. I might have looked this up on Wikipedia afterwards. But it started off as this um, practice... uh, This is like classical music, right? This practice thing so that um, people could practice... To practice improvisation, which is almost like an oxymoron, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it has these... When I looked it up on Wikipedia, it said that it wasn't really a form. It was more like a... I forget what word they use. Like, it doesn't have. You can't say this is the form of a fugue and that's it. Like but a it does have or an
2: approach. Or a approach yeah, or a yeah is it it's, it's more strategy
1: like or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Strategy, strategy is probably closer, because you can have things like um, it's kind of like there's different voices. They call it. Um, it doesn't have to be a singer, but I guess originally that's where it came from because it was like the tenor and the bass and the this and the that, um, and of course to be music like for them. And so you would have these different voices, like one starts with its melody, and then the other one will kind of come in over top and do this counterpoint thing. See, I'm not very good at explaining this.
2: It all sounds totally uh, legit uh, to me. Yeah, yeah, understanding yeah. it. Uh, um,
1: um. Where they might, but like based on that melody, maybe they reverse the melody, maybe they uh, change the key and uh, the timing kind of changes. Um, and those changing of the parts will have a flow to them or a, well, more or less flow to them. And that I would like to follow that. I kind of want to not be the one to make every fucking single decision when it comes to rhythm and, and timing. I want to I be able to sort of like fall into somebody else's thing and have to react to that a bit more this, this time as part of my improvisation, you know? Because um, with words, you might think, oh, it matters, like, oh, you have these words set down. Actually, it doesn't matter at all. The way that you can cut up words on, you know, with, with editing and stuff or just drop them or line, like, the words will not guarantee that I'm in a certain rhythm at all. And then there's computer voices. That's the other thing, um, which I might use this time um, as a bit of a draft in some sort, you know, a draft, maybe. I'm thinking about that. I have this story that I like. <laughs> it has to do with sounds and, and and prepared sounds. Tell me. Yeah, about chimes that I just can't get out of my head. It just it, That just kind of in some way inspires me. I don't know why. Um, there's this corner store in New Westminster down by uh, 12th and 5th, where my sister used to live. And you know how they have chimes when you walk into a store so that people know that, you know, there's customers there, right? Well, this, there was something wrong with this chime because <laughs> it sounded like it was, okay, let me try and imitate it. It was like, boom. <laughs> it sounded like the most forlorn, like, oh, my God, like, die, like, death. Like, as yeah. soon as you walked into the store, it was just the saddest. It was just two notes. And I'm like, there's something. And my sister and I used to love to go there because we called it the death knell store. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> I know. And it was always, it was hard to walk in there and not just totally crack up because of, of the sound. It's like, oh my God, it's like someone's dying. It's like a cartoon death The sound you know? Yeah. The yeah. yeah. Well, it was like a Like, it's just so like, oh my God. And recently we went back there and I'm like, oh no, they fixed it. They put a new one in there. And it was like it's the one that goes like hello, like an ice cream truck, you know, hello, and then just keeps on repeating about three times, hello, and it's just like oh my god, this is so wrong, and that's when I realized that the first two notes of that chime was prob the old chime was probably the same chime, but it had broken. You know, so that the notes were like the pitch was all wrong, yeah, like, like, like like taffy, taffy like. right and um, and the hello just kind of i don 't know got got <laughs> dropped. <laughs> And so we're in there. We're like, oh shit! They changed the 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 chimes. And as we're walking up to the counter, this other customer had walked in, and he's sitting there laughing. He goes, "Don't you just love it? I love this. Hello." And we're like, "No, we don't like this at all." And the the man, the owner behind the counter, starts laughing. I'm like, "I like the other one. I like the old one." And he's just suddenly he starts laughing a lot. He goes, "Ha ha ha! No, it's history now, history." (laughs) And then and we're like, "But we liked it." And my sister goes, "It's like someone dying. It was like a funeral." <laughs> and oh, we just had such fun over that stupid chime. Like, but you see what I mean? Like, it, uh, the first version of the chime was probably just a broken chime. But how suddenly it just totally changed when you just kind of play with the pitch or the shift, and it it becomes this completely like less artificial thing. It became like this complete, you know, like a death scene, you know, <laughs> uh, rather than this than the kind of the ice cream truck thing, which is always the fucking same, Like, you know, you just can't get away from it. Um, but yeah, it's that interruption of this established form kind of thing. And of course, fighting, you're always trying to like interrupt and like crush the other person's rhythm and stop them and and get them off their their internal rhythm, basically. That interruption thrown into like the known pattern or the known narrative, whatever you want to call it, has to be important. That's going to be a lot of improvisation just right there. But I still want there to, at this stage at least, there to be using the fugue or something like that, a musical composition, that there still will be some bedrock that I start with and then like, okay, that's the story. And then, okay, how does it get, how in editing can I start to, you know, wreck it? and then get pulled back by it, and get thrown back into it, and that kind of thing. I think in the end, you know, I've I've realized this, I do, I guess I'm mostly, I've done a lot of video, let's say, in in the last ten years, and maybe what I was trying to do all along with video was I was trying to write music, but I don't know how. And then for some reason, video was my venue to do that in, with editing. So I think I'm just doing more of that now, but I'm, I've become more conscious of how important music is to me, and rhythms and stuff like that. That I'm just more consciously using that in, like that element in there.
0: You've been listening to Post Studio Visit, a podcast produced to the Or Gallery, Vancouver. As always, if you have any artists you'd like me to interview, please don't hesitate to hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Jonah underscore Gray, that's G-R-A-Y, or at Orgallery. I can also be reached at discursive at orgallery.org. Also, just a note that post-studio visit would not be possible without the support of the Canada Council, the Government of B.C., the City of Vancouver, the B.C. Arts Council, our members, donors, and volunteers. Thanks for tuning in.